Welcome to the Bossy Bitch podcast with me, Elsa Mitchell. Um, today I am chatting with Leanne Preston, who came onto my radar through a client of mine um, a couple of months ago and has one of the best stories <laughs> I've shared on this podcast today, I think. So I'm really excited and it's really, really special and super super inspiring so settle in if you're listening to this one <laughs> get a cup of tea thank you Leanne for joining me thank you Elsa thank you for inviting me um so I'm so pumped I'm like I'm just gonna let you do the talking today for once I know <laughs> it's hard for me <laughs> um but I would love for you to share with my listeners I guess your story and it's a big story but maybe if we could start with your journey into becoming a pretty impressive entrepreneur as a single mum. Okay um I think um for all of us there are life-changing moments that really define us of who we are or who we might become and I think we can all relate to those they can be through through all sorts of things or, or circumstances and I think for me, one of the biggest life changes for me was when I was just 15 years of age and um, my we were living at the time in a Midwest um, country town of only about 500 people and we'd only been there three years. We'd been living um, up until then in the city, so this was a big life change to go to the country. And um, I was just finishing year 10 with my twin brother and my mum announced that they were leaving this um, country town and they'd bought a property in Geraldton right on the beach, near the beach. So we were all pretty excited. There's six children in the family. And my mum turned to me and said, don't you get excited because you're not coming. <laughs> oh. And I was kind of stunned. Like I didn't really believe that, but um, she said it's not important for girls to be educated. So she said, you would be staying um, and you'll find work and the rest of them were to move move on. Um, and that for me was, um, I really didn't believe it till the day arrived a few months later and the truck came and and my mum had found me lodgings in, in the town with some strangers that I'd never met or they didn't know. Um, so I got dropped off with a suitcase today <laughs> and told you're on your own now. My jaw's on the floor because I actually didn't even know this part of the story and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so that was, that was really, really difficult for me. Um, I remember sitting there with my suitcase just thinking they would really come back, like this wasn't really happening. Wow. Um, whilst I thought I was an adult, I was not. I was only 15 and a child. And I think the hardest thing was being separated from my twin brother. We'd always been extremely close, so... Not having my twin brother there felt like a half of me was missing. Yeah, I have twins, so. <laughs> yeah, so to be separated where he was taken on. Yeah. So I took it on that they, they obviously were in some way, you know, not proud of me or possibly ashamed of me in some way, which I couldn't figure out. So, um, but my mum had arranged for a job interview with the local Shire Council um which I went and got the job there was I think I was going to guess I was going to say banking or (laughs) shower shower councils up there so my mom bought me two outfits to start this job paid up my rent for two weeks at the house that I was staying and um I started this job like just walked off um but it turned out to be something um incredible I found I really loved business and it was such a diverse background working for a shire council back then. Yeah. So they did everything from building to planning to, 
to plotting graves to the road traffic authority. So, and it also had quite a large library attached. So they sent me through to the Perth State Library where I could learn to, to run a library and work within a library and then came back. And even as a 15-year-old, um, I learned my confidence grew very quickly in the, in the role that I had. And they asked me would I like to sit in and take minutes on board meetings, which went for a couple of days. Um, and no one else wanted to do it. And I said, I will do it. So I, sat <laughs> I in, wonder why. Yeah, so I sat in on the board meetings and... I really understood how business was run, how they formed boards and what how decisions were made, how the chairman worked. So I got to see the inner workings of the century mm. of the council. So um, so I worked there for, for a few years and then moved to Geraldton, um, became engaged very young, way too young. Um, We've got, all been there. Been there <laughs> got married, had three children. Um, but I did continue working for quite a while and worked in various roles in um, Geraldton. And what I found was that job gave me the confidence, whereas I didn't have the qualifications on paper, I knew that I had the skill and background to do any job. So I wouldn't send a resume in back then. I would just present and say that, just give me a chance and I'll prove that I can do this job mm. for a legal firm. Or And I always got the job and always got the promotion. So whereas I had, I had sent my resume in, I would not have, they wouldn't have even looked at you, no. <laughs> so I had confidence that I could actually do anything if um, people were prepared to give me a chance. So then I did get married and um, then started a family and stayed at home for many years caring for the three children. They're all very close together. Um, and then um, when they were about six, eight and ten, um, unfortunately my marriage broke down and that was kind of shattering in itself as well because suddenly I found myself a single mum with three children and no child support. So I was basically the primary carer, sole carer for the three children. Yeah, we've all been there too. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then going from a full-time mum to suddenly working out how am I going to feed and support I know, and they're so expensive. <laughs> I know. So I, and then we sort of venturing to start, you know, looking at high school. And at the time we'd moved and was living in Margaret River, um, which is one of my dad's family were one of the early founders in Margaret River. So there's a lot of history there. Amazing. And even they, one of the main streets is named after my dad's family, the Higgins Street. Oh, there you so, go. So the, for me, there was a great connection there, even though I hadn't actually grown up there. But there were still aunties and uncles. And so there was support around for me. Um, so I became a single mum and... Um, realized I had to go back to work because there was I had to find a way of supporting mm. us so I worked in the hospitality industry running um uh, back then it was 1885 it was a restaurant and hotel and um I had to work really long hours so the kids hated it so after about mm. six months they all came and complained and said we hate this we don't see you um so I sat down with them and um, they all put them to bed that night and thought, I have to change my life. Like I'm earning, not being paid very mm. much an hour. I can't really survive on this. So I sat down and wrote a wish list. If I could create any job in the world, what am I really passionate about? What would I love to do? So I sat there and wrote, had no trouble filling up a full scat page of all the things that I wanted to achieve. I obviously cared about the environment. I love children. I wanted to travel. There was just so many things on this list that if I could achieve that. So then on the other side of the paper, I was like, so what qualifications have I got to actually <laughs> achieve this wish list? And I realised I was staring at a blank page, but 
I realised prior to having my children, I worked for 12 years in business and fairly high up the corporate ladder for large corporations. And I realised what I hated about business and why I never wanted to go back was I felt burnt out. Yeah. Like I spent so many hours investing in other people's business. Mm-hmm. So I decided that um, I would like to start my own business. I didn't know what that was going to be that night, but I had made a decision, a conscious decision that I'm going to start my own business. And within one week, my daughter came home, my middle daughter, Hayley, came home from school. She was the eight-year-old with head lice. And I was just like, she still laughs to this day that I didn't want to deal with it for two days. It's like you don't have Oh, it's life. just <laughs> such a nightmare, isn't it? You're like in denial. No. Oh, absolutely. You don't have head lice. I can't deal with head lice. So anyway, I went, finally went to the chemist and I remember being embarrassed having to go in and ask for a product. So I um, asked the chemist quietly, like um, my child has head lice. So anyway, he gave me, sold me a product, put it, it was in a box, put it in a bag and I couldn't get out there quick enough. Came home and unwrapped this packaging and was shocked to find that the inner uh, bottle was a brown glass bottle with poison (laughs) etched on the side of it. It was a melatonin based. And product. don't we all remember, like, as kids, like, you're just like, did your parents just pour pure gasoline on your hair? Yeah. Like, it was so bad. Well, this was melatonin. <laughs> I had no idea, but the stench turned my Yeah. Stomach. And just the fact that it had poison on it written on the bottle, I'm like, I don't want to use poison. So I went back to the chemist and said, look, do you have a natural product? I do not want to put poison on an eight-year-old's child's head. When you read the instructions, it said it must be applied in a well-ventilated room. I must wear gloves to protect my hands. <laughs> yeah. But you're putting this on. And the kids are like, it's burning, yeah. it's burning. <laughs> so I was like, and he was like, no, that is the gold standard that's used throughout the world. And I just remember walking out, shaking my head, like I cannot, even though this was 25 years ago, 26 years ago, I even back then could not believe that this was accepted as the gold standard. Back then I never even had a computer at home. So I had to go to the state, to the library, local library in Margaret River, and I studied entomology and natural medicines. Um, Firstly, I had to treat my daughter and there was nothing I could find. So I had to use the the malathion poison. And I vowed and declared I would never, ever use this product again. So we got rid of the head lice so she could go back to school. (laughs) And, um, yes, I went to the library and spent months in uh, research studying entomology and studying natural medicines. And what I uncovered was what scientists have known for decades, that there is insecticidal properties to be found in botanical oils. Um, And they had put... There was like 20 years of work had gone into it. I'm like, I cannot believe nobody's put this in a bottle. So then I also looked into what our Indigenous community would have used in our Midwest region. So I spoke with um, the local elders and and researched that and found there were beautiful flowers that they used um, to treat head lice. So I ended up using a number of professors' works and came up with Australia's first natural head lice product, which was essentially like an olive oil base with lavender, geranium, eucalyptus, the purple flag flower. There was a number of flowers from our Midwest region. So you had this beautiful product. Um, and trialled it on in Margaret River. It was good because it was a feral <laughs> I was about to say, all of a sudden you want your that. kids to get knits. <laughs> there was lots of rampant because there's lots of community down there then. You're like, I really need you rubbing your hair yeah. up against all the kids at school. <laughs> so we ran to trial the product and it was amazing. The, the lice literally ran onto the forest. Like, yes, screaming for their lives. So... Um, <laughs> 
I decided this actually works. Like, and it's and I also whilst I wanted to have a beautiful product that was environmentally friendly and safe for children or pregnant moms, I had to be really careful of what percentage I put in there because although you're using essential oils, it can essentially also be dangerous. So you don't want to be anything harmful to a pregnant mom. Mm. Whatever, but what I uncovered that malathion in that brown bottle with poison etched in it, the side effects of that by our government's own review included vomiting, nausea, miscarriages, visual disturbances, oh and neurological effects. God. It was also a persistent pollutant, which meant it stayed in our waterways, did not break down for 30 years. Wow. We're and still I, drinking that crap, and I probably. Was stunned. Like they still use it today in agriculture. Yep. Um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm this, this is the no-brainer. I'm taking this to the world. It was a global vision from day one. I never wanted a cottage industry. This was going to go global. And um, I think family and friends were kind of shocked. It's like, what do you know about the pharmaceutical industry? Like, yeah. Um, this is a medicine that you're launching. Like, do you realise what you're doing? I said, no, but I will learn. Um, so I did. I learned a lot when spoke with pharmacists, talked to people, got to really understand how the industry works and um, found there was a loophole that there are two states, Queensland and WA, that are like the maverick states. So there was a loophole in the Therapeutic Goods Administration that allowed me to trial the product within my own state borders so I could sell it not into hospitals but could sell it anywhere into pharmacies, hairdressers. Um, and that was quite legal to do that without registering it as a, a medicine. So I was able to do that and trial it, and it went with such huge success. Like I was couldn't keep up bottling from home. We were doing, I think we got up to 10,000. I developed <gasps> a, wow. a natural product for not just treating the lice but also as a preventative as well. So yes. Um, then I had the big pharmaceutical companies, wholesalers contacting me saying all the pharmacists are saying, you know, why haven't I got this product on my shelf? Can I order it? So they called me in and said, we'd like to take you on into our major wholesalers. Um, so I was pretty excited about, about that because I knew that I was also wasn't, wasn't able to keep up the production that I needed to find a manufacturing facility that could take, take this over. Um, and so the first um, thing they said to me was, in order to pull the stock through our warehouses, you need to be able to um, have reps on the road. So you need to find a broker that can service every um, pharmacy in the state so they can order through us. So I'm like, okay. So I found the brokers, went to them and said, absolutely love your product, but if you're not in the wholesalers, we won't take you on. And the wholesalers wouldn't take me on. Uh, so it was kind of this catch-22. Yeah. So I decided I'm going to get my own team of reps. So I ended up um, going to the Department of Land and Management to up all the territories of the covering the whole of Western Australia. So I might be talking to you, Elsa, at playgroup or at school or whatever and saying, look, I'm starting this business. This is my beautiful product. Um, would you like to become a rep or do you know of someone that would like to earn an income? So you were like, might say to me, well, I can't, but my sister who's up in Port Hedland is looking for work. She's um, off on maternity leave. So I'm like, okay, so that's how I started. So I got 20 mums covering the whole of Western Australia. Oh, that is so cool. So the wholesalers took me on board, um, took in a huge amount of stock. Um, and I also then went to obviously a manufacturer um, 
And the first large manufacturer I went to in WA tried to steal, I guess they thought I was this naive mum from Margaret River with three little children in tow. It was kind of like, well, you just need to sign this agreement. And it was <laughs> handing over the intellectual property. So I was Unbelievable. Like, no, sorry, I don't want to deal with this. This is my intellectual property. Yeah. So when, when they want to manufacture it and I buy it back from them. So the second place that I went to um, was around Prairie Laboratories at the time where I met John Found. And he was amazing. The first thing, he was a pharmacologist and of running the facility. The first thing he said to me is, this is your intellectual property and we must protect that at all costs. I have a confidentiality agreement, so before you discuss anything, let's get that signed, which we did. And I was like, oh, that's He, such he a sounds like a stand-up kind of guy, doesn't a, a he? keeper. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I really like this. He sounds guy. like a pharmacist we'd like to snatch up. <laughs> one on the sounds a lot stage. like the guy downstairs I saw on the way in. <laughs> he is a lot like him. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so John was amazing. And um, whilst he was actually manufacturing the, the poisonous uh, malifying KP24, um, when I told him my idea and showed him my product, whilst he thought it was very honourable and um, a lovely idea, it didn't have any known active ingredients that would be recognised by the therapeutic goods. And I explained to him and went through all the side effects that we talked about earlier and how bad it was for our environment. And he was really stunned because his whole teaching and dogma of becoming a pharmacologist where they do drug development is if something is a gold standard, you don't question that. And one of the things that I also pointed out to him that the only trials that were ever done on this malathion-based product, the gold standard, were done on uh, prisoners out of um, Texas in the United States. Oh, in wow. That were waiting on death row. That's crazy. And that was where the trials were done and that was how they based I wonder what else standard. they tested on them. <laughs> So you just wonder with grandfathered products. Jesus, like, that's so crazy. He had never really questioned his own te- you know, the teachings that he yeah. had brought up within the dogma to teach as a scientist. You accept the, the teachings. So he took it on and was able to convince the therapeutic goods that this product does work. We then conducted trials and we got accepted into the Therapeutic Goods Administration with the trials that we, we undertook. Um, we then, um, I was, as I said, a single mom. We sold our house. I had a $60,000 payout back then. Yep. I had to buy a car because I didn't have a car. Um, and I invested that 60000 into my business, like all of the money. I was going to say, did you bootstrap it and fund it yourself? Like, because I guess a lot of people will be listening going, well, where'd you get the money? Like, how did you fund, you know? So, yes, and back did. then, $60,000 was probably equivalent Correct. to like half a million dollars now. I spent two and a half hours with a top financial planner who told me the 60000 I need to invest in a home. Like, you need to get a roof over your yes. children's head. But I kind of went home and thought, that's not going to give me an income. I'm going to be an old person before it's actually going to give me the rewards that I I'm needing. yeah, and I need to have income now. So I and start, how, how old were you at this point? Would you say I must have been thirty-eight? Oh yes, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I'm forty. I can still make it. <laughs> so I really wanted to get the children on board because they wanted the home. So I sat them all down. So they were probably nine, eleven, 
um, yeah, 9, 11, and 14, whatever at the time, um, 13. So I sat them around the table and said, okay, we have this pot of money um, and, you know, we can invest in the house like you want, but then I explained to them what a mortgage, what a mortgage is and what that's like and made that sound really terrible. <laughs> No and so they've never yet. borrowed money in their <laughs> lives. <laughs> um, or we can invest in me and I'm going to start a business. There are risks associated with that, but I believe that I can make this business work. But I need to get you three on board. And the three of them, without hesitating, said, we'll want you to invest in you, Mum. Oh, my gosh. You. So they became my first little board of directors. So, I love this. So we set out, got them involved from day one, and they are like little sponges. Like they love being involved in of decision-making. Like I don't think we involve our children enough. Like, mm-hmm. And they, you know, they came along to patent attorney so we could get my, you know, wild child trademark, the Quitnitz trademark, the logos trademark. Wow, what a gift. They sat in the background and I remember watching them one day I used to get butcher's paper where they would paint and draw and my middle one who was the artist was sitting there and I remember asking her, what are you doing? And she said, I'm just creating the business that I want when I grow up. So can you trademark the name that I have for it now so that when I grow up it will be there for me? Like, so they, without me even speaking to them, they just absorbed that from sitting in them. That's amazing. So um, so we started the business and it took off and we were able to get it um, then nationally, which meant unfortunately then I had to go to brokers that would cover the whole of um, Australia. So I ended up having to let, after a couple of years, let my mums go, which was a really sad day for mm-hmm. me. Um, and do you know what? We never actually achieved those same sales as what those mums did. Like, they were just phenomenal. So... That 60000 that I invested, I remember the day that I sent out my product to all these mums. I'd never even met them in person. I'd only met Unbelievable. them Unbelievable. I sent them out all the product. They didn't have to buy anything. It was just I'll send you all the products out. These are your territories. These are all your pharmacies that you can visit, hairdressers, whatever you have yeah. in the area. Um, and I sent them out an invoice book, a receipt book, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, an order book, receipt book, and um, invoice book. So they literally back then to pay for the business had to walk into the pharmacy, sell the product in, collect the money um, in the very early days till I got into the wholesalers, and then I was able to have um, just five accounts nationally instead of five thousand pharmacies nationally. So that was kind of a smart decision, but they actually did an amazing job. So the day that I sent out all my products and launched it across WA, I remember going to the bank and I had $100 sitting in the bank account. Oh, shit. And those mums turned that into $100,000 within oh the first my three weeks. Oh, God, the first three weeks. Turned over my first million within less than a year in sales. Like they just did an amazing, amazing job. Oh, my God. And how long ago was that? 26 years ago. So that's like equivalent to $10 million right now, I feel Correct. like. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe even more. And, you know, to keep the children inspired, we sat down when I started the business and said, okay, let's have like a vision board if you like. So we got them to, I said, you can pick. We'll have three wishes that we want to to get from starting this business. What would you like to achieve out of this? So they cut out a house and a dog and put the dog. They said that's one wish because the dog comes with the house. Yes. So they had their house. Um, they wanted a holiday because we'd never been on a proper holiday. Um, so the third one, I said, well, I have to have that wish. I've got to get a home computer and an office set up so I can really yeah. do the business. So we put them on there. And within the first year, we'd achieved all of those things, a beautiful home on acreage in Margaret River in a beautiful location, 
You're like the, the best mum ever. So they're involved. <laughs> I don't know, but they were certainly involved. They really like my little board of directors. Like, and even when I started the business, it suddenly became really busy. The phones never stopped ringing and I was working. And they came to me and said they weren't happy. So we sat down for a little family meeting. I said, okay, tell me what's wrong. So the eldest one who's so organised, Lise, is like, okay, I will speak first. So she was upset that there was no clean school clothes and the washing basket was overflowing. I mean, like there's a washing machine champ. Yes. <laughs> I kind of said, okay, I'm going to teach you how to use it. So we'll do it together and we'll, we'll learn how to, to get that back under control. The middle one said, you're really busy now so we don't see as much of you and I feel sad that, and it still upsets me to this day that they don't, they missed me more than anything. Like, yeah, because I, I was working. Um, but didn't they have a dog? So ungrateful. I'm like, what, what, what are you upset about? It's like it's seven o'clock, and we haven't had dinner. I'm just. Like, I'm starving. Well, we've got all this money, but we're just so hungry. So, um, so we made some decisions that night. I said, okay, I'm going to buy an answering machine back then So, because um, everything was on landline. Yes. We had mobile phones, which is unbelievable. I know, crazy. So we put an answering machine on and I said, after 4 o'clock, I don't answer the phone. It goes to that answering machine. I don't care who's calling. So we kind of took back time that I had sacrificed before. And then um, Brie and I became more financially stable. I was able to bring on help so I could bring on um, someone to help with all the ordering and office work and bookwork for me. I was able to bring on a nanny, which they absolutely loved, who was um, fantastic. She was um, she was American. She was really good in that she was a sports teacher. She was um, a great cook. She was always on time to pick Amazing. up. Amazing. So the kids absolutely loved her. She'd ride a bike. They're like, we don't need you well. anymore, Mum. Go back well, to work. <laughs> She was always there on time and I was. It allowed me to then grow the business and work on it more because I could be away from home and know that they were being cared for in a safe environment and were really happy. It still didn't. When I travelled globally, when we we decided to um, take the business globally, um, you still would get phone calls and it'd be the two girls fighting or something like she's taking <laughs> my top and, and didn't ask for Yes, I have twin me. girls. <laughs> I get this all the time. She's wearing my jumper. Yeah. I'm like, pretty sure you were wearing her jumper yesterday, but whatever. So, um, so it's kind of, um, it is a long story and to go over 26 years. But what I did very early on, which probably not a lot of people do, is that very early learning experience from mm. the Shire Council and watching how a board works, I just assume that's how all businesses work. So what I did from the very beginning, from very, very early on, was decided I would set up a board of directors. Um, so I knew that, I knew what my own strengths were. I was very entrepreneurial. I could sell anything. Um, but I certainly lacked a lot of experience in other areas, marketing, for example. I needed someone, a pharmacologist, to come on board to handle all the regulatory So um, I was able to, we ended up with a world-class board of directors. Our chairman was Paul Waldron, who was head of Channel 9 Studios. Oh, my gosh, amazing. He He was just fantastic. Um, We then brought on Jonathan Fisher. He was Rothschild London at the time, so he worked in bank finance and um, law. And then we brought on um, a number of other people that helped in um, various areas as well. And John found the... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, let's circle back to this pharmacologist. <laughs> we kind of just dusted past him before. <laughs> so he 
I went and approached him and said, would you like to come on board as a director? Like, we're going to need regulatory. We want to take and did he away. say, well, first of all, you need to buy me dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but um, I knew that he was going to be a part of this story, even if he didn't at the time. And he said he was really quite flattered to be asked to be a director of the company. So we all got together and had our um, team together in Margaret River around my kitchen table at the time, the first one. They all came down, flew down or drove down. Wow. Um, you know, the first meeting was at the accountant's office in Margaret River. So we sat around there and I remember um, actually one of the directors, um, he came from finance as well and had worked he was also came out of the army. It's like with the CIA and stuff. Really interesting character. So he was great. At you didn't stuff out. about, did you? You just like straight to the top for your board Correct. of directors. Yeah, so, I like it. So these guys were amazing. And I remember some of them said, can we be given shares in the company? And this guy that worked in the um, in the uh, army and worked for the CIA stood up and said, no, this is Leanne's company. Um, if at some point in time that the company is ready to to issue shares, that's great, but we should all buy them. No one should be expected to give shares. And it was one of the best bit of advice I ever gave. It's very easy to give away shares, but if mm. you lose controlling interest, you can't get that back. Yeah. So um, they all just said, look, we're all on top salaries. We actually don't need to draw a salary or anything yeah. from you. So they gave up their time freely. No way. So I had this amazing oh board of directors who gave of their time. Um, and I think I'm still astounded to this day, the generosity of people that believed in the story and believed in me. Like my, even when I was manufacturing, couldn't keep up at a home base, had this dear friend who said, whose husband had recently died, a beautiful property out of Kawara, my out of Margaret River. She had this huge shed whose husband had died and she's like, it's a brand new shed, you can work out of my Amazing. Shed. So we were bottling out of there with a friend who had a back injury, happened to be a plumber, so he built all the vats that we used. Oh, my gosh. And then after working out of her property for maybe a month or more, um, she would at least three times a week send me home with a basket of um, either fresh fruits from the garden or there'd be vegetables <laughs> or freshly baked cake or bread she'd made or whatever. There was always something beautiful in this basket or a glass of, or a, a wine or something. And then after about four weeks or a month or something, um, there was an envelope in there and she said, open the envelope when you get home. Couldn't wait till I got home. <laughs> yeah, I would have been the uh, same. And... I opened it and it was a cheque for $10,000, which back then was a lot of money to a single mum with no no um, access. The banks wouldn't even lend me a credit card because they considered me a bad debt. Um, so this was $10,000. So she said, and I took it back the next day and said, look, I can't take this. I don't know when I can pay you back or if I can pay you back. I know I've got belief that I'm going to grow. Yeah, there's only so much knit lotion you can give a person. <laughs> So um, she's like, no, accept it as a gift and um, if you can pay me back one day, that's fine. If not, it's a gift. And I just couldn't believe it. So I took the 10000 and the, we used that to, to launch it and get the products ready. Holy the shit. Then we had one of our major manufacturers burn to the ground and lost all of our stock. Then she wrote a check out for 100000 No, she didn't. She did. Um, I'm just throwing it out there to anyone listening if anyone wants to throw yeah. some cash my way. <laughs> Real, I think angels here that actually do that. I mean, yeah, but that must be investment. something in you. Do you know what I mean? For like you to attract that into your life. I don't know. Like you obviously had something going on with you that where you just probably 
believed it so much that you know other people wanted to come on this journey and believed in it as well yeah like it's a reflection on you I don't think it was just like (laughs) dumb luck that people were like here you go I've got some money for you like I think you obviously had a certain mindset or way about you and that I was committed yeah like this was going to work um, when I spoke to a, a friend of ours, um, Amy, I remember her asking me in a podcast, do you, you know, did, did you ever think this was failing, if it would fail? And I was like, failure was never an option. Like I didn't yeah. have that luxury or choice. This has to work. Um, and I think you have to, as an entrepreneur, I know that we can be given, you know, bad raps as, you know, cowboys or cowgirls. <laughs> um, I'll take but, cowgirl. Yeah, cowgirl. <laughs> I think for me, um, yes, you take risk, but mine were very calculated risks. I don't just go out there. Like even 60,000, I knew that I would get a return on that. I could see the sales and we couldn't keep up the volume. So I was able to um, carefully calculate the risks that I took and and minimise those, if you like, and then take each step to the next level. And even then as having such a, having a tremendous um, board, one of the other directors was um, Bob Browning. He was head of Alinta Gas, but he worked in the United States. He was one of Coca-Cola's top executives. Wow. He was amazing, like um, one of the best mentors I've ever had. And these guys stayed with me the whole time I was with, with Wild Child, so before I stepped back from retirement. So I just can't thank these guys enough. And back then there were no women that I could turn to. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, And I think growing up as a twin twin and having a twin brother, I was very comfortable with that male-female energy. Yes. And I always kind of believed that um, if you can get that balance right, then it's the most creative environment to work in. Yeah. Um, And... Yeah, these guys already believed in it and just gave me fantastic advice along the way. And when we made a decision where, you know, we pioneered it into supermarkets in Australia, which we were the first to do, we've never lost our number one spot in Australia as being the top-selling headlights product even to this day. Wow, um, even to this day. That's so, so amazing. So we, you know, really changed the landscape and then decided, well, we've saturated Australia. And, <laughs> and everyone's going, what the hell is the product called? Have we even... Quidditch. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, have we said it yes, yet? Yes, so have a look at your hair. Walk down any coals or Woolworths or... Oh, I feel like I definitely would have some in my bathroom cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> come away from those very... Come a long way from those very, very early and humble beginnings. Um, and obviously it was being outsourced. So we sat down as a board. We'd fly in all of our directors once a year and we would sit down and do our planning for the next few years. And um, we decided we wanted to take it globally. It was time. So the first decision we made as a board um, and the advice that I was given is to go into English-speaking countries and where, and also who had English law, that it was much easier to do. So we mm-hmm. decided to try the United Kingdom to try and get into Boots Pharmacy Change. So we worked with Austrade and was able to um, work with them, which was some really great grants available through the Export Marketing Development Grants. Um, I then approached John and said, the pharmacist, pharmacologist. This guy just said, keeps com- you, coming up again, yeah, doesn't he? <laughs> I need someone to travel with me. Travel with me. I, we see where this is headed. <laughs> I said, look, I can sell it to anybody, but the industry's not going to want a nice story. We're going to have to back it up with the science. Well played, Leanne. So he's like, look, I'm there. <laughs> 
And it was on one of these trips that we actually realised we actually liked each other more than just um, business partners. So yes. We became life partners. Yes. And he trips. was the guy downstairs he when I got here. <laughs> so he's been amazing. And the fact that he could look after all the regulatory. So all of our meetings globally, we would um, always take in, um, obviously myself because I'm passionate about the product and sell it, John would back it up the regulatory and we'd always have a business manager to come in with because we were safe for the UK we'd also set up manufacturing out of um, a place called Holitza on the Czech Polish border so our products were manufactured there so we got into all the boots pharmacy chains under their own private label through through the UK we then got into uh, France through AS Watson um, which was a huge group they um, were able to take it through all the Benelux countries through France through many countries through Europe um, and to be at the manufacturing facility in the Halitza where it was snowing outside, it was just like a fairy tale scene and you go in and there's this huge manufacturing facility and all our products are coming off in multiple languages. Um, throughout that the is so amazing. And the private label um, was just like, this was just a huge achievement. Yeah, it's it massive. That this is what where it was going to end up. So then we decided to tackle the United States, which was with some trepidation because the United States is known or certainly was back then as the graveyard for many Australian. Oh, right, of course, yeah. Graveyards, yes. So, um, and, of course, we didn't have social media back then. No. um, I had to use my story as a social media so I'd get into all platforms. Um, So we went to CVS in the United States and... um, surprisingly they absolutely loved the product loved the story loved the whole idea and everyone was just on that cusp of wanting environmentally friendly yes so you walk in with a poisonous product or our product what are you going to choose yep um so they had seven thousand pharmacies so they gave us a contract no way so then we had to look at it wasn't worth us when we looked at the maths. Shipping um, product, water across water doesn't make sense. So then we had to find another manufacturing facility, which we found in the Midwest region in the United States. So we um, we set up manufacturing there for them and then we were contacted by a really large uh, venture capital firm out of the United States and said we absolutely love your branding, love your story. Um, we would like to meet and find out if we can do something together. So they partnered us with a, an amazing company, Highlands, out of the United States, who've been around for over 100 years. Wow. We specialised in natural products. So we ended up um, doing a deal with them and uh, ultimately we got into, uh, with their help, over 70,000 stores. Holy shit. So we got our products into Walmart, Rite Aid, Whole Foods. CBS, oh, my god! Right through the whole of North America, including Canada. Um, and then they, we ended up selling the Quitnitz and Wild Child brand to them for North America only. And then I stayed on as brand ambassador for eight years. They would fly me back, so I was treated like Sweet. For eight years, crisscrossing on syndicate TV, radio. Oh, my God. um, Doing trade shows. Like, it was amazing, amazing time. Like, um, just incredible. Yeah. All of those things that I wrote on my wish list, I could tell you. You smashed them out of the water. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm going home and I'm writing a new wish list. (laughs) And I think, you know, it was really quite amazing, like, um, 
when I kind of look back, um, whilst I had huge success early on, there was still that lack of confidence and I wish I could go back and tell myself it's okay. I always felt because I didn't have the qualifications, mm. people would see me, I think, what do they call it today? Like, imposter. Imposter syndrome. Yes, yeah. You, know, you kind of, even back then I felt that, like I'm not, I don't have the degrees like the yes. people in the room. And yet many years later I gained that confidence. It's oh. like, you know what, I, I've actually, it doesn't matter. Oh, you weren't a... <laughs> I was invited to become a part-time lecturer at um, the University of Western Australia to people doing their master's in business. Yeah, wow. To, like, talking to entrepreneurial classes, doing, you know, lectures. One Australian Businesswoman of the Year in 2007 and was also asked to um, have my autobiography published by Random House, which went globally, which was amazing, really. Um, That's amazing. I'm going to um, link to your book in the show notes for people oh, wanting to find it. <laughs> No, it's a while ago now. It's 2007 and a lot of people, as we discussed earlier, have been asking, can I please bring out the sequel to it? Because um, I think, you know, the first half of the story talks about the struggles of being a single mom and starting a business and society's view of how they treat you was not very kind back then. You were seen because you were working that you weren't a good mum somehow. Like, oh, I think that still goes on to some extent, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, probably more. But in, in, in a battle for a lot of women, as opposed to outside judgment, but still, still there, isn't it? Oh, you know, it very much. And but the, even more so. Well, you know, I often laugh when my husband and I separated. Um, he got the casseroles and I got the lectures. Yeah, um, no and shit. it was like oh, really, <laughs> and I'm raising them on my own. Yeah, and I have lectures that I didn't understand the responsibility of raising three children. Um, so somehow he got the casseroles and was able to walk away. Um, but I think that that still happens. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know it does, and I have the greatest respect for anyone that's that, yeah, whether it's male or female, that you anyone who has to raise children on their own, it's really hard work. It is hard, um, yeah, and worrying about you know paying for all their needs and wants yeah, and giving them the life that you want to. Give but them. So the mental, um, you you worry about their mental health issues. Yes. You worry about, like today, just you know, social media and the platforms. Yes. And things like that, we didn't have that to deal with, but there was still other pressures back then. But um, you just worry constantly, like their physical, their well-being. Their, yeah. Are you enough? Like, you know, what are they lacking? And you can't be all things all the time. No. And I think as parents, we beat ourselves up. But someone gave me some really good advice and I remember saying I feel really guilty because I've travelled a lot this last six months yes. or whatever it might be. I've been away from home. And um, someone said you don't, you should never feel guilty unless you've actually done something wrong. So I think I think as mothers we do take on guilt when it's not. Absolutely. We need to find a new label. It's not guilt. Absolutely. We I'm, haven't done anything yeah. wrong other than trying our best. I think we've got to ditch the word. Yeah, mum guilt, it's such a massive thing. And this is why I vibed, well, I mean, I think anyone would vibe with you, but, like, as a single mum, I've just, you know, hearing your story, it's just so inspiring. I think even just not for single moms, but, like, but, you know, yeah, and, and just your outlook, not even what you've accomplished, but the way you looked at things and still look at things and the way, you know, you included your children and all of that. I think it's so many valuable lessons for everybody. I think we still do. Like um, I think we even taught them from a young age if they couldn't talk to me about something or embarrass 
connecting with who you are with. Um, and that's what I've loved about your story is how you've said all the kids came to you and they wanted to tell you that they weren't happy or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, I love that. A, that the kids had the maturity to do that and B, that they felt safe and, you know, that they could do that. Like, it's pretty amazing. I the words they all got grounded for something. I don't know. Probably I need a timeout. Um, I think we do time out wrong. I think um, I should have put myself in the bedroom. Yes. <laughs> I said, don't talk to me for two Yes. Um, anyway, they had some time out or they weren't allowed to go to some event. Um, so I had this, I went to bed that night and there was an envelope on my bed and I read it and it was like, you just don't understand what great kids you have. Like, oh. We don't do drugs, we don't do sex and we don't do um, alcohol. So we're really good kids. You just don't know how good we are. And for these reasons, we shouldn't be grounded. Um, oh, my was, gosh. It was so gorgeous. So I had to write back and say, I do know. And I'm really glad that you're not doing all those things. Like, that's pretty good. Yeah, but you're still like, grounded. You're still <laughs> grounded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of my kids said that to me the other day. Someone had messaged her and then she'd messaged back. And I said, oh, what did you say that for? Knowing that she didn't want to particularly catch up with this person. And she goes, because we're good kids, mum. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> I think, um, you know, listening to older people sometimes, just getting their advice, is just sometimes it's really good to listen. And, you know, things like um, as a mom, if, if, if you're under pressure through work or whatever it might be and people ask you to do things like you really don't, not because you don't want to do it, but you just don't have the time, but you don't know. So you start to make up an excuse for it. Yes. One of the things I learned very early, which was really good, you don't need to make an excuse. If yeah. you can't do it, just say, I'm sorry. Can't do it. And don't sleep with it back. Yeah. That's and the story of my life right now. really, really well. Yeah. Like, don't, if, it's, if you can't do it, just say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Can't do it. So fast forward yeah. now, you've since retired. Correct. How years ago? Yes. How does it feel? Amazing. For people who say retirement's not good, they, I think they're like, Haven't retired. <laughs> Because we're well, we're in a beautiful home. We're, we're the, it's given us an amazing lifestyle, and I feel very privileged to where yes. we ended up. And I know that for some people that's not the case. Um, yeah, but it means that, that all the hard work we've done that we can enjoy life. We can travel. We're off to the North Pole next. Week. I know. Go so see Santa. <laughs> just take the whole family to Singapore and just have an amazing time together. And. Um, you know, I'm just so proud of, to see my three children, their work ethic, that they're just beautiful human beings. And yes. Such kind, caring souls. That, um, and I know they're really proud of what we've what I've achieved. And, you know, they look back sometimes and go, I can't believe you gave me such a hard time when you were just trying to work and provide for us. But yeah. I think as a single parent, you're the only one there. So they, yes. They will get angry with you. Yes, yes, um, yep. And the dad that was able to walk away, they didn't because they didn't have any expectations of things so yeah they were able to escape it. but to see them mature to see them grow to see them going to their, their own careers um has been really rewarding and become me. just really awesome human beings Absolutely. yeah better. and i think i know we struggle as a mom are we meeting their needs are we giving them enough but really all they want is you to love them and to give them your time yes and I think what we all have to resist, and all of us can do it, we can say things sometimes out of frustration. It's like try not to. Try and just reduce speed to a best friend in the way you might speak to a child. 
don't do that. Oh, I know, because we say things to our kids and sometimes even our partners um, that you would never say to another human being. (laughs) They do remember that. They do take it on board, and um, and I've been guilty of that. And hundred percent that back. Um, But it was out of frustration. Yeah, be angry with them and say something. I really should have said that. I feel like your dad is looking at me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) You keep this up, and I'll send you to your (laughs) father. (laughs) So just things that they they do remember. Yes. Um, and they're all really, really close. And I think being a single mom for nearly 10 years, I actually see it now as being a great privilege. I learned to find out who I was. I yeah. Know, how yes. Else. Yeah. Somebody should make you happy. You've got to be able to find like, that. Yeah, yourself. And I think until you find that, you're not going to move into a really healthy relationship. So I think finding and working with John, my now, my I was about to say, so we married the pharmacist. <laughs> the most incredible. I think working together for so long, and we worked in, although we worked together in the same company, because he was the scientist and I was the entrepreneur, we were in totally separate fields. We were both in admiration of each other for the work that we each contributed. Like together at Birches Magic, I couldn't do his role and he couldn't do I love my that. role. Yeah. So we learned to respect each other and. You know, that was another lesson I learned when someone said, well, what, what is love? How do you describe it? If you had one word to describe it, what would you say? So, oh, my God. Safe. One word. <laughs> um, that, that's a good word, but it's respect. Respect, yeah, it you is respect. You don't respect yourself, you don't respect yourself. It's so true, and, and they say that, respect yeah, you. respect is the first thing to go. Correct. Yeah, that's so true. I so, did know that. And I just think, wow, that's actually really true. If it's not respected, if it's not healthy, Absolutely. And we should never be made feel guilty about the choices we make or putting ourselves first sometimes. Um, yeah, I can relate to that. Um, <laughs> there's that word again, guilt. Um, so would you say that looking back, like you have had incredible, incredible success, there must have been some kind of just deep knowing inside of you that you just were on the right track. Did you feel that kind of? Absolutely. It was actually shown to me in a dream. So if you read my book, it was very hard. How do you do this? I come from a very Irish Celtic background. So dreams feature very much. Yes, I'm glad you're saying this because I um, love dreams. So people might think, oh, that's a bit airy-fairy. So it's actually how do you put this into a book and get people still to take you seriously? Yeah. But this wild child story was just a kind of, was shown to me um, through a dream. And I just knew when I woke up, this is a prophetic dream. Like, I just know that this is actually, this is going to happen. Like, How good. Yeah. Pathway. Um, and it was just laid out for me. And, and probably a lot of your listeners might even be able to relate to it. Like, yeah. I knew I was unhappy being in this relationship for 22 years. Um, we had the three children who were six, eight, and ten at the time. Um, and I knew that it had come to an end and I couldn't stay there any longer. And having the balls to go after it. I mean, like, I have, you know, people that have listened know my life blew up significantly over the last few years and going, shit, you know, I'm 40 now. Yeah. Um, my divorce is still going on. Like, can I start again? Can I? Do I have time to build this Absolutely life? Yeah, Absolutely. I know, because I still am like, oh, my God, I feel like, you know, I've lost all this time and there's no time. 
you know, there's that fear. But, you know, this is what's so amazing and, and having the balls to do it. Like I can't emphasise that enough because well, this dream, though, alleviated a lot of those fears because I knew that would come to fruition. I just knew that. Self-belief, right. Like we were living actually in a um, uh, like a valley, so surrounded by a huge in the dream, which wasn't how our house was. It was the actual house we were living in in Market River, but it was in the valley. Yeah. And I remember it was a really hot day, and I remember walking up this side of one of these huge hills, like. And when I got to the top, it was like there was an ocean there, but I, how could I have lived here for so long and didn't know there was an ocean there? Yeah. And there was this long jetty that I could see going out. So I walked down the other side of the hill, walked out along this jetty. I got out about halfway to the jetty and there was a gate. I boarded off the jetty and it was like, oh, no, I, you know, I tried to unlock it and it actually was open. So as I walked through, I had a kid, I had a baby in my arms, like, and honey in the dream it was just natural so yeah kind of walked through holding this baby and as I got to the end of the jetty the water was really choppy so I bent down to pull the baby's feet in the water and I accidentally slipped on the um, on the edge and fell into the water then I saw my husband come swimming in from nowhere and I'm holding the baby up above the waves and he took the baby and just disappeared oh wow and I was kind of left to drown and then my eldest brother, Michael, appeared on the jetty and just bent down and said, it's okay, sis, and lifted me up out of the water. Um, and when I came back um, and walked back up on the top of the hill, all the hills were covered in oil wells. Like, oh, wow. Everywhere. There was all these white vehicles. And That's so crazy. So I knew it was to do with oils and chemists. Or, yeah. Know, this was going to be my future before I even um, Hayden had headlights. This dream appeared. That's amazing. And when I spoke to someone who could interpret dreams, she said um, the symbol of Peter coming in, like my ex of taking the baby, was I actually handed him his life back and said, you can take him out. Yeah, right. And whilst he left me there to drown, <laughs> I got lifted up out of the choppy water. Yeah. And I was going to drown and came back and my whole life was shown. So I knew it was to do with the central oils of oils. In some capacity, there were chemists in my coats. I just want to go home and go to sleep now. <laughs> so, um, that kind of gave me the confidence. This is going to be a global pharmaceutical company to do things. I love it. That's so amazing. And so, have you you've sold the company? Um, sold down my shareholder. Yes, we have. Now. Beautiful. Um, and unfortunately, I've got health issues now. And that means yes, side ahead of me. But um, I'm yeah coping with that. Well, you seem to be. I mean, I've only seen you this week and last week, but so far, um, you yeah. know. You s- so that's another challenge. Um, and cancer for me is a big one that I support as well. So, yeah. Um, mine is not a good prognosis, but um, certainly um, have an amazing oncologist and treatment. I'm just lucky to be living in the state we are our country. Yeah, that's so we true. We do have the support that we have and the services that without it, here, so um, I've still got a lot to live for. I've still got new business ideas that I'd like to see. Yeah, good. And um, just really loving life. Like, yeah, retirement is good. And just spending time with grandchildren now, being able to really be present for them. And just watching that brain develop, like in the little ones, is just uh, just amazing. Yeah, and such a gift. So I feel like my life has been really blessed. Yeah. So even being left with a suitcase at fifteen, which was felt 
just sheer abandonment. Um, it, I needed to do that. Like it needed to happen in order to put me on a path that I was ultimately meant to be on. Yeah, so. yeah. And so what would, like, you know, you've given, you've had this amazing life um, and you still have the best possible attitude ever even though you've just said that, you know, you've got this health battle you're now dealing with. Like what's your, like, key advice, like your one thing? To who would be nice people? To let's just go for a, a woman in business. Your age? My age. <laughs> maybe mom. maybe single mums or yeah. even just like for me, um, as you know and as people that have listened before know, I lost my best friend and business yes. partner two years ago, coming up two years. And for me that changed my whole life. Yeah. Changed my perspective, changed my attitude. I just wasn't scared anymore. Mm-hmm to live my life the way I wanted to probably gave me the courage to, you know, walk away from my marriage and take on all that I needed to. Um, And I've so I've had that experience and I'm always like, I just wish you could kind of, I don't know, give that strength to other people without them having to go through. Just having confidence in yourself. I really think that's the one thing that holds us all back and including I to take the step, but not having that confidence in those early days in myself or belief in myself. But I felt like I was almost an imposter. Mm. I would go out there and say everything's amazing when I was really struggling to to get everything built and um, you know, and usually you are underfunded or under resourced in the very early days. So there's you know, there's this huge tremendous pull on the finances of the company. And yeah. nobody back then wanted to support a single mom. So um, but as I grew in confidence, and if I could go back, like I said, and to tell mm. you, you're an amazing person. You have so much to give. Yeah. Away. Just believe in yourself. You are enough just for you. Yes. You don't have to be anything else. Yeah. But don't live with regrets. Like, it's something I've never done. So I have lived, never been afraid to take a risk. I said, calculate risk. Yeah. <laughs> um, give it the best advice. You know, just so good people. We all have our strengths, pay to your strengths, and we're the weaknesses are. Yes, I believe that so because much. together, then you have these, all these creative minds, all these creative energy that you can build off each other. Yeah. And you can build it because nobody just does it on their own. Like there's a whole team of people behind you. I mean, I think of all of the people that, you know, from the business we started, but it has this far-reaching, reaching effect to the truck drivers, to all the distributors, yeah. to the wholesalers, to the people that stock the shelves and coals, to everybody that you play a part in like um you change the world in ways that you don't even know even if it's just like you are now being a mom what you're doing is you're molding another generation i'm trying yeah. like i'm trying <laughs> i think they're molding me <laughs> no, we learn from each other yeah Thank absolutely you, never be afraid to bring them into your world no, I've fears. got my um, 12-year-old making my Pinterest pins for me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They love to be part of it. Like, don't be afraid. Just, I think you only fail when you don't try. Absolutely. Oh, that is the best thing ever. You only fail when you don't try. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. Only you fail. Like, you can, um, but you have to learn how to switch track when something's not working. You've got to be able to. Even starting a business, you must know your market, do your homework really well, know yeah. your competitors, who they are, um, and you've got to be smarter than they are or do things better than they are. 
yes starting yes be more creative like and if you're up against like i was giant pharmaceutical companies they're very hard to turn the wheel and make decisions whereas being a small mind you're far more nimble you can do things a lot better um and my story got me such a long way that people even today like you're the single mom from margaret river I remember your story. It's funny, isn't it? Because we're constantly saying, share your story. It's all about the story. That has one thing that hasn't changed in all these years of business. It's like, and probably more prevalent than ever in today's, you know, um, marketing world. It's like, share your story. Because people buy into people. Like, buyers all over the world have told us when we got to know them after some time that um, they buy into the people first before the product. Yes. So if they don't like you, they're not going to buy your product and you have to learn not to have a big ego when you're going to sell something either like I'd say I'd take three people in and depending on that audience I could read that audience very clearly very quickly you know because you don't have long to read them yes so if I'm not meeting them for some reason I would flip to John or flip to the business manager who would then fill in because I would pick whoever was the best person I felt for the audience and you'd see them come back so, I love that. So I you've got to be able to switch and know, like, okay, yeah. for whatever reason, today's not working, the magic's not there. So they obviously want to hear from scientists, not from you, but they yeah. may be more science-based on the other side of the table. So whilst it's a nice story, we want to hear the science. So I hand that to John who can fill that gap. Mate, I just feel like I could sit here and talk to you for 100 years <laughs> and you've got so much wisdom, but... um. I will have to wrap it up, but I, we did miss one piece of the story today, which I'm just going to quickly tell, mm-hmm. and that's about Amy. Because <laughs> I feel like she's going to listen to this and go, I can't believe you guys haven't spoken about me yet. So your husband, John, his daughter, Amy, your stepdaughter, which I loved the other day that you said to me, you don't even think of her as a stepdaughter. You think of her as one of your own daughters. And so... This is how I met you. It was through Amy. She, yep. Amy has found my skin. Correct. The sun, I always go sunscreen, sun cream. Ever since I've met Amy, I never know which one to say anymore. <laughs> um, and so John has encouraged Amy and helped her create her own products now. Um, beautiful line of she's taken the more more natural Correct. route with the sun cream. and. Um, yeah, I love, and I'm going to link to Amy's website yeah. and details in my show notes as well as Leanne's book um, because I love that that's a whole other part of the story which maybe I'll let Amy tell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we get her on the podcast another time, um, that you've continued that legacy now by empowering Amy and giving her the skills and kind of handing over the baton and she's doing such an amazing job. Amazing, so proud of her. And when we were here last week with Amy and uh, I just was like, wow, it really, <laughs> it just doesn't end, like <laughs> the amazingness of your story. So I'm going to I'm gonna just leave that as a segue for another podcast um, that Amy can come into. But thank you so much for sharing your story. I feel like there's definitely so much more we could go into, but I'm going to link to your book and all of that and I am so, so, so grateful. Oh, thank you, Watson. Thank you, again, for the privilege of being here. Thank you, and best of luck. Thank you.